You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. Lesson 10, Man is the Way of the Church, sections 13 and 14. The message of John Paul II in The Redeemer of Man has many layers, as if it were a musical fugue, a theological fugue. Christ is the Redeemer of man. God became man so that man could become God. Christ is the way of the church. Man is the way of the church. These apparent contradictions or conflicting statements are resolved in the mystery of the Incarnation because Christ assumed human nature. By looking to Christ, we see man as he is perfected, and we see him in his compassion for man, we can see Christ in each man. So that statement from Vatican II that Christ united himself in a way with each man, Gaudium et Spes 22, is what allows these various aspects to be played out. But this section, the third part of the encyclical, is entitled redeemed man and his situation in the modern world. The mystery of Christ as the basis for the church's mission, which is to bring Christ and Christ's command to be a guardian of the transcendence of the human person. This is the basis for the perspective for understanding the modern world and the situation people face in it. In the next sections, we'll see about the threats to the dignity of the person. But in this section, he reiterates the notion of the church wishes to serve one single end, that each person may be able to find Christ. And he explains the church is not an organization devoted to administration. It's not a political organization but it's a personal encounter with Christ and a community, a communio of those who love Christ. The church must have contact with the human person at their deepest level, at the level of the heart, the intellect, and the will. As he explained, this encyclical is a call to the heart, the intellect, and will. So continue reading, he says, what is in question here is man in all his truth, in his full magnitude. And we're not dealing with the abstract, he says, but the real, concrete, historical man. And we are dealing with each man, for each one is included in the mystery of the redemption. And with each one, Christ has united himself forever through this mystery. Every man comes into the world through being conceived in his mother's womb and being born of his mother. And precisely on account of that mystery and the mystery of the redemption, that man is entrusted, that person is entrusted to the solicitude of the church. The solicitude of the church is about the whole man, is focused on him in a special manner. The object of her care is made in his unique and unrepeatable human reality, which keeps intact the image and likeness of God. 
That's the end of an important quote from this section. It's a pivotal point in the encyclical. We must have it to understand the conditions of the modern world that threaten the dignity of the person, and also to understand the opportunities for fulfillment and flourishing, and ultimately eternal salvation. And so John Paul will pivot from the rich Christology of Vatican II, deriving from Scripture, the Church Fathers, and Thomas Aquinas, and look at the existential situation of the human person in his historical being, in his unique and unrepeatable circumstances. So he opens the section again saying we need to penetrate the mystery of Jesus Christ by means of the experience of the human family. This is the way of the church, he says, that has stood the test of time and is still open to us as a path into the future, into the new millennium, as he will lead us over these decades of his pontificate. The entire encyclical is a meditation on that line from Vatican II. By his incarnation, he, the Son of God, in a certain way, united himself with each man. It's from that celebrated section number 22 of Gaudium et Spes. It's the teaching that goes back to the Church Fathers and St. Paul, that Christ is the new Adam, and he assumed human nature through the Incarnation, and this has raised up humanity. It means that each human being is raised to a new level of existence, at least in promise and as an offer. For God wills the salvation of all human beings, and no one is excluded from this promise and offer. So that's the meaning that he has united himself in a way with each human being. In Christ's humanity, we find a perfection of human nature. So he is the model after which humanity was created and whom they will be redeemed. To be human is to conform to Christ. The teaching of Vatican II that Christ united himself with each man because he has assumed human nature and has elevated each one, means that each human being has a vocation to be discovered, affirmed, and appropriated through the action of Christ. A Spanish theologian, Archbishop Ladaria, in his book, Jesus Christ, Salvation of All, explains this important point as follows. Our salvation is that of Christ, because by virtue of the mysterious and although real communion of the Son with the whole human species, what takes place in his humanity has an effect on all human beings. In him we all die and rise. But there is a second aspect. Our salvation can only take place in the fullness of his body, the church. This fullness is yet to be realized, but he who is the head is also Savior, insofar as he is united with the body that is also saved. In this salvation, we are all called to participate. He continues deepening this insight by saying, in this mysterious exchange, Christ's salvation becomes ours, and our salvation becomes Christ. 
because he is the head of the body. And nothing that takes place with the head is meaningless to the body, and vice versa. This does not mean that salvation is automatic, but by virtue of the Incarnation and taking into account the differences due to each one situation, no human being is a stranger to Christ. Therefore, in the ways that only God knows, any human being can be associated by the gift of the Spirit with the Paschal Mystery. Of course, each one can accept or refuse the gift offered in Christ. If we cannot affirm that we are all seen independently of our personal response to God, saved independently of our personal response to God. It is clear, on the other hand, that the fate of humanity as a whole is irrevocably linked to Jesus. He has given us his spirit who makes us one body of this church, but also acts outside its visible frontiers. I wanted to give you that long explanation because there are misunderstandings about this teaching. It's not about automatic salvation, but it is important to see that Christ is united with each human being and gives them the opportunity to respond. So any sinner, no matter how in sin, is open to God's salvation through Jesus Christ. And he is the image, the clear and perfect image of the firstborn of all creation. He is the new man who will transform us through this newness. St. Paul said in his letter to the Romans and in the first letter to the Corinthians that there's a parallel between Adam and Christ as one, man, one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification in life. Or again, as death came through one man, Adam, so the resurrection of the dead come through the new Adam, Christ. So the meaning here is that Christ has regenerated mankind, and all of us are affected by his death on the cross. And yes, each needs to respond, and each needs to be led by the Holy Spirit. But Vatican II, by taking this teaching, which is not a novel teaching, but has brought it to bear in a new way for the new evangelization. It's inspired by the image of Christ, the Good Shepherd, who seeks the one lost sheep, or as the widow seeks her one lost coin. Each human being is precious to God in Christ and must be to the church precious and should be sought out by the members of the church. This constitutes the mission of the church to make Christ present in the modern world. Again, because this encyclical takes Vatican II and brings it to bear, I will have a few more insights here from Vatican II before proceeding to how he will elaborate on this teaching that man is the way of the church. That is the theme of this section. But in Vatican II we read, 
not only for Christians but for all men of goodwill in whose hearts grace works in an unseen way. Christ died for all men. The ultimate vocation of man, in fact, is one, to be in God. And we ought to believe that the Holy Spirit, in a manner known only to God, offers to every man the possibility of being associated with this Paschal mystery. That's Gaudium et Spes 22. And if we go over to the, the document on the church, Lumen Gentium 16, we read, Divine providence does not deny the helps necessary for salvation to those without blame on their part have not yet arrived at an explicit knowledge of God and with his grace strive to live a good life. Whatever good or truth is found amongst them is what the church sees as a preparation of the gospel. She knows that it is given by him who enlightens all men. That's the end of the quote. So St. Paul at the Areopagus appealed to what the Greeks had already achieved. And finally, Lumen Gentium 17. The church looks at what is ever good in the minds and hearts of man, whatever good is in their religious practices and cultures of diverse peoples, is not only saved from destruction, but raised up and perfected unto the glory of God and the double happiness of man." End of quote. So to bring these together, we see John Paul II in identifying the church in that single end that each person may be able to find Christ in order that Christ may walk with each person on the path of life, now refers to the power of truth about man in the world that is contained in the mystery of the incarnation and redemption. And from this truth radiates the power of love. That is the mission of the church, to proclaim the truth of Christ the Redeemer and radiate the love. If Adam broke the link between the wisdom and love of God, the transcendent source of human flourishing. Christ has restored or reforged that link. John Paul praised Maximilian Kolbe to see an example of what it's like to live in the wisdom and love of God. And Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And Jesus Christ is newly present in the world through the church, with the power of the truth and in the love that is expressed in Christ. And he says, no ideological system or regime, political attempts to suppress it, can militate against the church's concern for human dignity and for the redemption of man. He says, no one can halt the church in this mission. Christ is the way for the church because he is our way to the Father. And he is the way to reach each man. He is a true mediator. So to return to the idea, Christ united himself with each man. So the solicitude for man in the concrete 
means that Christians are concerned with the temporal welfare and the eternal welfare of each person. And the church is not insensible to whatever serves man's true welfare, nor indifferent to what threatens it. Catholic social teaching arises out of this idea that the world should conform more to man's surpassing dignity, and life in all its aspects should be made more human. Economic life, political life, cultural life. But again he repeats the church should not be confused with a political party, a political system, but is a sign and safeguard of the transcendence of the human person. The dignity of the person is seen in the fact that each person is unique and unrepeatable, who bears the image and likeness of God. In his philosophical work, he wrote, a human being is defined in terms of proximate genus and specific difference according to the Aristotelian method. He's defined as a rational animal, he points out. But we must be careful about reducing the human being to the world. In science, we treat beings as objects which we define. But the human being, even defined as rational animal, we must remember is utterly unique and unrepeatable. And this is not only because of material individuation, but because of his subjectivity. From philosophy, John Paul II says this, subjectivity is a term proclaiming the human being's proper essence cannot be reduced and explained by proximate genus and specific difference. So rational animal is a good definition, but we are persons with a unique vocation in life. And the the human being is the only creature on earth that God willed for itself and chosen by God from eternity and destined for grace and glory. This is what comes from being a sharer in Jesus Christ. This means that each one of the 4,000 or 4 million human beings living on our planet share in this mystery of Christ from the moment he is conceived each one beneath the heart of his mother. That ends section 13. Now let's see how he picks this up in section 14 to explain the notion that all ways of the church lead to man. The church cannot abandon man because his destiny and calling, his birth and death, salvation or perdition is closely linked with Christ. We cannot fail to note that John Paul II clearly states that Christ's redemption embraces all human beings and calls for a free response. It is a calling. It could lead to salvation or perdition. Our destiny turns on Christ and his death and resurrection. But those parables on the search for the lost coin or the search for the lost sheep frame this strong statement that the church cannot abandon man and has a solicitude for each one. Our destiny is laid out in our calling. 
first through creation, when the Creator gave to the first man the mandate to subdue the earth and to have dominion, to be fruitful and to multiply, all humans share in that mandate to Adam and Eve, and each must respond to this call, each in his unrepeatable reality, John Paul II says, on who he is and what he does with his intellect, will, conscience, and heart. I'd like to just comment on these words. The intellect is the power to grasp universals, to understand the meaning of the world, to have a light of understanding. By grasping the truth, we can judge the truth of things, and we can understand what is good, and that's the basis for our freedom to choose, to be free to choose in the truth of our own nature. When he talks about will, that is the power to choose in light of the good, which includes a freedom of choice. It breaks free from any determinism, explanations that the environment or natural impulses make us do what we do, but it leads us to consider and deliberate what is the true good and to see that by choosing, we determine ourselves to be who we are. We form our character and our choices. So that is why he next says, each person has a history of his life that is his own, and a history of the soul that, in his own, that is his own. Or another way to put this is, we develop our own character. We have developed relationships and patterns of love and attachment and commitment that define who we are. That's what he means that each person has a history of their own. Human nature is social and political. So this history of life or history of the soul is about development of character, and the development of our relationship with God. And it must be seen in our relationship to others. The root of our self-determination, the root of our sociability, the root of our religious quest is the idea of the rational soul. This he learns from Thomas Aquinas. The soul gives rise to the powers of the soul, intellect and will, which are spiritual powers. That's why he refers in this passage to the openness of the spirit. It's in openness of the spirit that our history is shaped by our choice and our responses. But we have diverse needs of our body. We exist in time because we are not angels. We are body and soul unities. We must work out and develop ourselves over the course of our life. And that's why he says then in this long quote about our formation, each writes his personal history through numerous bonds, contacts, situations, and social structures linking him with other men beginning to do so from the first moment of his existence on earth, from the moment of his conception and birth. Man, in the full truth of his existence, of his personal being, and of his community and social being, 
in the sphere of his own family, in the sphere of society, and in very diverse contexts, in the sphere of his own nation or peoples, perhaps a clan or tribe, and ultimately in the sphere of the whole of mankind. End of quote. The idea here is personal existence is a dynamic one. Personal being must be unfolded over time in the context of relationships with others and in the context of history. Now here's where we need to consider the incarnation and redemption is precisely the idea that God is linked in the concrete with every human being because through his relationships and then through the church, which is spread over the world, there is a dynamic presence of the church taking the call of Christ. So the proclamation that man is the primary route that the church must travel in fulfilling her mission that man is the primary and fundamental way for the church is this missionary impulse of the church to contact each person heart to heart, mind to mind, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. This way was traced out by Christ himself. It's a way that leads through the mystery of the incarnation and the redemption. We see it in his relation to his own mother, we see it in relation to the apostles, to the men and women that he encountered. Each one, we see, receives a light and strength to measure up to his supreme calling through Christ as the new Adam and as our Redeemer. This development will always be a test there will be temptations. We live in a fallen world, and we ourselves are fallen. That is why we need a Redeemer. When we consider those things that threaten the dignity of the person in the following sections, we'll find in many instances they are threats that come from our own making as a species or threats that come from our own undoing as responsible persons according to choices we've made when we did not follow the wisdom and love of God. The documents of Vatican II describe these parameters of human existence to take into account concrete man and all the truth of his life and his conscience and his continual inclination to sin but at the same time in his continual aspiration to truth, to the good, the beautiful, justice, and love, the external conditions of the modern world have a dynamism and have changed in ways that present new challenges. It's not the external elements of this situation, but it's the truth within humanity and Christ knew man from within his own heart and saw into the heart of man. So in Vatican II documents we read, and man himself elements wrestle with one another. 
There is on the one hand as a creature, an experience of our limitations in a multitude of ways. But on the other, he feels himself boundless in his desires and summoned to a higher life. Each is pulled by manifold attractions and is constantly forced to choose among them, to renounce some and choose others. And as a weak and sinful being, he often does what he would not and fails to do what he should. Hence he suffers from internal divisions, and from these flow so many and such great discords in society. End of quote from Gaudium et Spes. We are confronted with both the grandeur and misery of mankind, to use the phrase of Pascal. And this double aspect of human existence is both enhanced and threatened by conditions in the modern world. That's what will lead then to these considerations of these opportunities and threats. There are great opportunities for the human person to grow and develop as a moral and spiritual being because of the modern conditions of technology and sociability and increase in knowledge. But there are great threats that undermine these possibilities. So the temporal conditions serve both the historical achievement of mankind and its threats, but as well the eternal salvation or perdition of each person. So the next step to unfold the meaning of Christ as the Redeemer of man, John Paul II says the following, Quote, since this man is the way for the church, the way for her daily life and experience, for her mission and toil, the church of today must be aware in an always new manner of man's situation. This means that we should see this likeness of each man to God and make human life ever more human and to make every element of this life correspond to man's true dignity. In a word, she must be aware of all that is opposed to the process. So in the following sections, he will, he will look at what modern man is afraid of and ask the question whether we have made progress in the 20th century or whether we have actually regressed on important indices of our humanity, which he will list as the priority of ethics over technology, the primacy of the person over things, and the superiority of spirit over matter. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.